morning, and thank you for joining us in our digital worship service this morning. We hope your digital presence will very soon turn into uh, physical presence right here in our building. This morning, our lesson's going to be a little bit of a challenge, where in fact we're going to present ourselves with a challenge this morning as we talk about and think about what we focus on. Right now, we're going to sing some songs, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to pray. Uh, and so let's focus in our minds on our worship service. There are some phrases that seem to have worked their way into our vocabulary. We, we probably use them uh, every day. At least we use them really regularly. One of those phrases that, uh, that I've heard a lot, especially lately, is, Look what the world is coming to. What in the world is the world coming to? I want to think about that thought for just a little bit today. What, what is the world coming to? Well, the world is kind of doing what it's always done. Uh, we expect the world to react with God's values, and that's just not what it does. It's not what it's ever done. We've gotten, uh, we used to be better at hiding it. We used to be better at covering it up. Uh, we used to be better at pretending to hold on to God's values, at least the world did. Uh, the morality and the things that, the values, but they've never really held God's values. They never were intended to hold God's values. And so when we expect them to hold His priorities and His values, we're always going to be let down. In fact, it's our job to show them better. It's our job to teach them better, to teach them God's values and His priorities. So every time you think, what is the world coming to? I want you to find someone to share the plan of salvation with. That's a pretty big challenge, right? Every time you think, what is the world coming to? I want you to find someone to share God's plan of salvation with. Let me share something with you. We're all familiar with the book of Acts. It's one of our favorite books. Um, inside the book of Acts, you find... 
a history of the early church for several decades. Um, Acts records the first several decades of, of the early, early church. And in its 28 chapters, there are 37 references to church growth. We're familiar with the idea that in the early church, the church grew by leaps and bounds. And so it probably doesn't surprise us all that much that there are 37 references in 28 chapters in the book of Acts. The church is growing during that time period. But here's some some stats, some verses that might surprise you. Six of those references, of the 37 references to church growth, are... Uh, connected to the Christian's morality. Basically, we would put it like this. Uh, Your life may be the only Bible some people ever read. The people in the first century were looking at Christians' lives and saying, I want to live like that. Their morality is better, and the way they treat each other is better than I'm treated outside of the church. And so I want to be a part of that. Now, when we think about that thought, that's a great much of our uh, evangelistic effort, right? We try to lead good moral lives in the hopes that someone will want to be a part of what we're doing, a part of a part of our congregation. And that's right, you know, the, the morality has got to be there. We need to treat each other as family. We need to treat each other like we would want to be treated. It's interesting, though, that out of the 37 church growth instances we find in Scripture in the book of Acts, Only six of them attribute that as the reason the church grew. Now, seven more instances in the book of Acts are uh, attributed to uh, miracles. In John 20, 30 and 31, John tells us that his book was written, and he's in fact recorded these seven miracles, he calls them signs, uh, to engender belief in people. Jesus went around the countryside healing people, uh, raising the dead, casting out demons in an effort to help people listen to his teaching, to make them believe his teaching. If he can do this, obviously he's from God, so you need to pay attention to what he's saying. The early church had that same opportunity with miracles. Um, But interestingly enough, only seven of the instances in Acts where the church grew are attributed to people seeing miracles and coming coming to faith. So you take the six instances where morality is the reason, and you take the seven instances where miracles are the reason that ch- the church has grown, and you get 35%. 35% of the reason for church growth are morality and miracles. So what makes up the rest of the the, the pie chart, what makes up the, the 65%. What's the main reason the church grows? Well, 24, the rest of the instances in the book of Acts where the church is said to have grown, 24 times the church is said to have grown because people shared God's plan of salvation with their neighbor. That's why the church grows. That's how the church grows every single time. And so when we think... What is the world coming to? We seem to be expecting the world to hold God's values, and they just don't. One of the reasons that they don't is because we haven't told them. We haven't convinced them yet of His values and His priorities. 
We need to be teaching them the plan of salvation. So every time over the next year when you hear or when you think, what is the world coming to? I want you to find somebody to share the God's plan of salvation with. Second reason I think we say, what is the world coming to? Is because we're, we're kind of connected to this place, aren't we? We'd, uh, we'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days. Right? We sing that song quite a bit, and there's a great bit of truth in that song. We would, we would like to stay here longer than man's allotted days. We're pretty comfortable here. But when we think, or we say, what is the world coming to? It's because something has made us uncomfortable here, and we don't like it at all. In John 12, verse 19 the Pharisees feel like the world's kind of falling down around their ears. Maybe that's how you feel right about now. Maybe the world's falling down around your ears. I want you to, to listen to, to what the Pharisees say here. In John chapter 12, verse 19, Jesus has swept into their country, and He is taking it by storm. Um, people are listening to Him they are focusing on, on His words and His teachings. And that means they're, they're not focusing and they're not listening to the Pharisees and their teaching. Listen to what they say in 1219 uh, of the Gospel of John. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after Him. That's kind of what we're saying when we say, What's the world coming to? The whole world has gone after Him. The world's falling down around us. What's going on here? It just doesn't seem to make sense to them. But it's going to make sense to us why they say that. Flip over to John chapter 11, verse 48. And let's look at why they said that. We know what they said. But let's look at why they felt like that. John 11, verse 48. He says, if we let him go on like this, if they let Jesus continue teaching like he's teaching... Everyone will believe in Him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. If we just let Jesus keep teaching like He's teaching, everybody's going to follow Him, and the Romans are going to see a new power player in town, and they're not going to, they're not going to mess around with us. They're going to bypass the middleman, and they're going to go straight to Jesus, and Jesus will have taken our place and our authority, and then we'll be lost. Everything will be lost. What were they really concerned about? Well, they weren't concerned about God. They weren't concerned about His kingdom. They were concerned about themselves. I'm afraid that when I say and when I think, well, look what the world is coming to, it's because of selfishness and pride. It's because I'm more connected to this place than I want to be. When my time comes to leave here, I want to be able to let it go happily. I want to be able to look back at my life and say, I've done everything possible in my power to convince just one more that Jesus is the Christ, that He came to die for them, and that it, here's how He has chosen to save them. And that at the end of time, at the end of my time, here on this earth, I want to be able to say, I did what I could, and I'm ready to go home. I don't want to be so connected to this place. It's difficult, though, isn't it? Because we can see and touch and feel everything here, and we can't see and touch and feel anything there. And so it's, it's difficult to not be connected to this place. But every time I see, or every time I think, and every time I say, look what the world's coming to, 
I'm going to be reminded now that I shouldn't be so connected to this place because, at least in my mind, look what the world is coming to for me when I say it. It's because I'm more connected to this place than I really ought to be. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be connected to this place. I want to be connected to the hereafter. So if we shouldn't be saying, look what the world is coming to, what should we, we, we be saying? What did the early church say? It wasn't, look what the world's coming to, but look who is coming into the world. We believe Jesus is the answer to this broken world. In fact, we believe he is the only answer to this broken world. He is the only one who can fix our problems here. If you're thinking a Republican president can change things four years ago, you were just as wrong as the one who think who think a Democratic president can change things this year. If you're thinking one party or the other controlling Congress is the answer, you're off base. Neither an elephant or a donkey can fix our problems. We need the Lion of Judah. He is the only answer to our problems. He is the only solution to our greatest need. And really, ultimately, our only need. Because once that need is taken care of, everything else falls into place. Sin is our greatest problem and a way out of it is our greatest need in fact as you look around at the world today what's the world coming to what's coming to destruction and it's our job to tell them that there is a savior that he loves them that he died for them and here's how he's chosen to save them that's our responsibility to point just one more person Jesus Christ and the saving power that is found only in his blood. The early church didn't say, look what the world's coming to. They pointed a finger and said, look who's coming into the world. Because he is the only answer to our problems. No one else, no other entity, no other thing, nothing can solve our problems. Other than Jesus. He's the great reconciler. He's the one who brings us to God. He's the one who unites us together. We heard an awful lot about unity uh, on Wednesday's inauguration. And I hope that's the case. But the only one who can really unify us is Jesus the Christ. He is our only hope. And if we try to put our hope in something, anything else, we will only be let down. Has history not shown that to be the case? History has bared that out, hasn't it? If you put your hope in anything else, it will always let you down. But guess who will never let you down? Guess who will never leave or forsake you? That's his promise, right? Jesus is the only answer to our greatest problem. In Him alone, we find unity. In Him alone, we find reconciliation. In Him alone, we only find salvation. So look what the world is coming to. It needs to be changed in our heads to look who is coming into the world. As we point people back to Christ. As we point people back to the only one who can fix our problems. The only one who can provide salve to a wounded and broken heart. The only one who can provide salvation, peace, comfort, healing. 
grace. And so we don't say, look what the world's coming to. Not anymore. We step in when we think that, when we say that. We step in and we are the solution to that problem. One person at a time. As we reevaluate our own priorities and our own values. And we decide that the world has never valued what we value. Not really. It's put on a good face for a long time, but it's never really valued what we value. God's values. The things that He cares about. They've never cared about that. Not since the time of Cain and Abel. Not, not even since the time of Adam and Eve when they broke that first command. Don't eat from the tree. What did God value? Obedience. What did they value? Selfishness. The world has always been like that. And let me let you in on a little secret. It's always going to be like that. Until one more person comes out of that thinking. They only do that through you. They only do that through you introducing them to Jesus and His plan of salvation. That reorients their priorities and He begins to transform their hearts until eventually they don't want those things anymore. They want what He wants. So that's the train of thought. I want you to be thinking as you think and as you say over this next year, look what the world's coming to. That's what it's always come to. That's, That's always been their train of thinking. It's our responsibility to teach them and show them better. That only comes through Scripture. That only comes through salvation. As we turn from that thinking of look what the world's coming to, we turn into look who's coming into the world because He is. He's coming back. There was, there's coming a day when He will come from the clouds with a shout. The trumpet will sound and Everyone will rise to meet Him in the air. And then the day of judgment comes. I want to be prepared for that day. And I want you to be prepared for that day. I don't want to be so connected to this world that I miss that world. Today at 6 o'clock, tonight at 6, we'll be talking a little bit about hell. I had a discussion with uh, with Dave Gladwell from the Barbersville congregation, one of their elders, uh, about about hell, and they used it for their Wednesday night class, and, and so they were kind enough kind enough to share that with me. So I'm going to link that to our Facebook page tonight at six, and so you kind of get a little bit of a a view of what that place will be like. But at the end of the discussion, all we can really say about hell is it's a place you deeply. Do not want to go. It's a place worth avoiding at all costs. Whatever you have to give up to avoid that place is worth it. And so I'll plead with you today. Don't don't let your mind rest on, look what the world's coming to. But force your mind to think and to rest in the promise of, look who's coming into the world. And make sure that you're ready for your time so that when your life is over you can look back across your life and say I did everything I could I was faithful 
and not be so connected to this world so that you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, if you're thinking about um, a new church, if you're thinking about a new lifestyle, if you're worried about your priorities, if you're worried about where your soul is going to spend eternity, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. Um, private message me. Uh, call the church building. Come stop by and we'll have a conversation. If I can help you in any way, just let us know. We want to not be so focused on, look what the world's coming to. But we want to be very focused on, look who's coming into the world. May God bless you this week as you think on these things. What is communion? It is the fellowship of believers by which they gather together to remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And often when we partake of the communion, we recall the horrible torture and agony that Jesus suffered. It is well that we remember the, how he offered his body and blood as the perfect and final sacrifice of sin, but, but for me, <clears throat> It was his life that made death meaningful. And by that I mean he was the only perfect lamb. He was the only one without blemish who could be the, uh, the perfect sacrifice for us. I like to recall how he lived his life, a perfect life. Daily he demonstrated compassion and, and love for everyone. He wept and was joyful. 
He was disappointed and angry, but he never sinned. He entered Jerusalem with thunderous accolades, only to be beaten and hung on the cross a few days later. He knew the fate that awaited him, and even though he asked the Father if the cup could pass from him, he accepted God's will. Our perfect Lamb of God willfully offered himself up as a once and forever sacrifice for our sins. His perfect life made his death all the more meaningful. Let's now go to our Lord in prayer as we give thanks for this bread. Our wonderful and kind and gracious Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for so much for all that you have done for us. And so much for your son, Jesus, Father, who was willing to give his life to become the ultimate sacrifice for us, that through and by him we might have eternal life. Father, we pray now that as those who partake of this this bread, which is the emblem of that body that was sacrificed. We pray, Father, that you would bless it and bless those who would take. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus offered his body on the cross and he bled as you know but that blood is important to us and we remember that blood through the fruit of the vine which we now partake of let's again go to our Lord in prayer our Heavenly Father when we think about the horrible torture our Lord and Savior went through on that cross our minds are tossed back to the blood that would have been dripping down everywhere Father and it was it's such a horrible scene, but Father, we know that he willfully gave his life for us. And Father, now as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which is the emblem of that blood, Father, we pray that we are always worthy of this, Father. We pray that you will bless it and bless those who partake. It's in Christ's name we pray, and amen. It's important that even though the communion is over with, we need to remember the, the needs of the church. And by that, I mean our, our contribution. Even though we're not here to gather each Sunday morning, uh, we still need to make sure that we are doing our part to help better the, the work of the church here. It is through our contributions that, that the, the lights are kept on, but also that we reach out to, to others. Let's go to our Lord in prayer and ask a blessing on our, our contribution. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us in our lives. We're so grateful for our many blessings. We pray, we pray Father, that you will be with us and help us to, to always remember what we have received in life and always be willing to share. Father, help us to work to help this church grow by donating financially and donating our, donating our time and our love and our prayers and our thoughts and all that is necessary to help our church grow. Father, we pray you to watch over those who collect this money, Father. May they, they spend it uh, properly and may uh, much good come from it. We thank you again, Father, for all you bless us with. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. When my way is broken, dreary, precious.
everyone. It's good to see you here on January 24th. 2021. Got to get my day straight because this is Friday that we're taping this at about 12:15, and the announcements that I have are good up till then, and hopefully nothing happens between now and when this airs Sunday morning. Have some announcements to make. Add to your prayer list Miranda Wilson King, daughter of Bud and Sandy, and her husband. She's experiencing. She's expecting. Not, a baby boy in late February. She recently has developed complications with this pregnancy. Doctors are monitoring her closely and keep her in your prayers at this time. We learned just a few minutes ago that Dean Cooper is home again from the hospital and has had some uh, breathing issues with the COVID that he had earlier, but at this time is home and feeling some better. Also on the COVID shots, Mother and uh, Hilda and Hazel, I know, had their COVID shots this week, so hopefully that uh, the shots can get around to everybody and we can start working our way down and put a lot of this uh, irritation of not being able to do anything behind us. And the announcement for that, leading into that, on January the 31st, Lord willing, we'll be back to the building. And we will still be doing the live broadcast at 1030 then, but hopefully that we have a big enough crowd that we can spill over into the kitchen. We can make arrangements to uh, do some things there. If, if, if you feel uncomfortable, let us know, and we can set it up to where there will be less people in that auditorium that we can uh, see everybody back worship hour at 10.30 on January the 31st. Recently diagnosed with COVID is, like we've mentioned, Andy and Heather Pittman. Keep Shauna Leap in your prayers and Jody Spitzer at, also with COVID. And remember to pray for these people and continue to pray for, for the, the work that's being done with this virus, that, that the uh, vaccine that is being presented by the Various companies will work and that we can get back to normal. As Chris and I were just talking a few minutes ago, 10 months and one week ago, we were talking about being just stop services for a couple of weeks. It's been 10 months and one week today, and this is, uh, it's been tough. Some extra white hairs in my head, as Andrea would say. But anyway, we'll get through this by saying our prayers, and the good Lord will help us out. Remember to keep everyone in your prayers. Continue to pray for others that we've mentioned in the past weeks with the, the coronavirus and also those that are experiencing uh, Cancer-related issues, continue to keep Rusty in your prayers at his treatments and that they work well and that the medicines that the doctors have prescribed for him will work. Also, remember to keep uh, all of our shut-ins. We have so many, and Frank and, and Virginia, Frank goes a couple, three times a week for dialysis, and I understand that he had his shot this week, and I believe Virginia also, and 
keep them in your prayers and, and Eloise Hayes and anyone else that you can uh, think of. Most of you will probably be getting a phone call this week from David reminding everybody that we are trying to reopen worship service back at the building on January the 31st. Hopefully we'll see everyone then. As, as uh, I'd like to read this morning from 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10, if you'd like to follow along. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us, for your son who has came and died for each of us. Bless us, Father, as we are about to leave here this morning. We're thankful for the lesson that Chris has presented to us and pray that you bless he and his family as they work here with us. We're thankful for all the many blessings for the community in which we live and for the land in which we live. We pray, Father, for our country, for the president of President, bless him that he looks to you for guidance and help in the decisions that he will be making. We ask that you bless our sick, that you be with those that have COVID, those that are having treatment for cancer. Be with Rusty and Kristen and Andy and Heather and Shauna and Jody and all of our others, Father. Bless them. Be with our shut-ins. Give them strength and courage and pray, Father, that, that we can all be back doing our normal things soon. Bless us, Father. Forgive us. In thy son's name we pray. And amen.